You're listening to Mapleview Community Church Podcast. We're going to be getting a series entitled Signs of the Times. Everybody is asking that question, when are the last days among us? Over the next five weeks, we'll be discussing the end times and the last days. Hope you enjoy it. God bless you. This morning, I'm beginning a short mini-series, a five-part series on the signs of the time. It's challenging right now, and many things are going on. So you may hear some very controversial things and things that maybe you've never even heard of before. But let me assure you, it all comes out of the Bible over the next five weeks. This morning's message, though, is more of a preamble and an extrapolation into the next four weeks. So with that, let's begin. My name is Jay Davis, and I am the pastor at Mapleview Community Church. I'm not going to begin with a joke this morning because this, the series message is fairly heavy, and I don't want to dumb it down in any kind of way. The reality is, from generation to generation, people from every nation have sought to understand the mystery of the last days. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, Israel's patriarch, Jacob, calls for his 12 sons and says to them, gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. That's found in Genesis chapter 49, verse 1. Seventy generations later, I want to gather the Mapleview family and the radio family and share my perception of what shall befall us in the coming days. So, as I said, today's message is more of a preamble, and the series title is called The Signs of the Time. The focus of the series really is twofold. The first is to remind us of Jesus' return and second coming. Scripture tells us, reveals to us, that Jesus will return. He, He tells us that immediately after he ascends to heaven. The angel says to those seeing him ascend in Acts chapter 1, says, Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but the someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. To the faithful follower of Christ, the imminent return of Christ is as big a part of our belief as the resurrection is. It's the incarnation, the death and resurrection, and return. Those are fundamental truths of our faith. The second reason stems from the unprecedented fear seen in the body of Christ over the past six months. There has come a hysterical blindness from fear. Soldiers used to suffer historical blindness often in battle. Now, I've never witnessed a type of spiritual hysterical blindness as I have in the past six months in the church. And I would have hardly expected to see it in the body of Christ. Listen, I am in no way trying to minimize the impact and the serious consequences of the coronavirus. 850,000 deaths worldwide have been attributed to this coronavirus. But I am trying to understand the fear contrasted to the reality of 3.5 million deaths caused by smoking and 1.6 million more deaths caused by alcohol. There is by far more deaths happening around the world from those two things, and yet we aren't scared of secondhand smoke and smoking and drinking contrasted to the COVID-19 virus. It seems just strange to me. 
Whereas I understand those that do not have an understanding of faith in Jesus and his love and eternal life. If, if you're thinking, this is it, this is all I have, this, this planet, this time on earth is all I have, then I get it. But the unnatural and unprecedented sphere, spirit of fear in the body of Christ is really telling to me. Even though Jesus clearly proclaims in the word of God that you and I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And that not a hair of your head will perish. And some of the fears that we're afraid of are ridiculous in nature. Remember beginning with March's unparalleled toilet paper shortage frenzy? Boy, it was crazy. Media outlets showing the shelves empty, the frenzied fears striking at both saints and sinners, anxious about being stuck without a stockpile of the soft, fluffy Charmin tissues. Followed by images of people fighting one another in the, for the last item on the grocery shelf and stored checkout aisles with long lineup of carts full of food, fearing that soon supply chains would be broken and the grocery stores would be empty. The frenzy sweeping our nation became even larger when the health officials extrapolated the model suggesting that between 11 million and 29 million people, 30 to 70 percent of the people across Canada were going to be infected. Schools rushed to shut down, businesses were locked down, and churches forced to cancel services. I received a few stern rebukes on from uh, email and uh, saying that our church didn't shut down fast enough. I mean, we, we, we were one late, week later than many, but, but stern rebuke. Again, please hear me. This isn't me attacking the validity of COVID-19. But the seasonal influenza's fatality rate are about the 40% level of, uh, that, that, that COVID is. And with the numbers hovering around 325,000 deaths currently this year. And, that's, and, and, and I, no one's talking about a vaccine for them. My head continues to spin passing the long lines at the liquor stores judged by our government as essential services while those seeking to pray in church were denied entry. Churches were considered a non-essential service. In the midst of the endless list of weird disruptions out there, the one question that has seemed consistent regarding the coronavirus pandemic has been, Pastor, are we in the last days? So let me be completely blunt with all you that are listening and hearing in order to get everyone on the same page and to clear up any misunderstandings you may have, there is no doubt from a biblical point of view that we are in the last days. Let me tell you why this is so. The last days began at the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus our Lord. The imminent return of Christ began with the angel's words to the disciples. He will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. The church age, our age, ushered in the beginning of the last days when Jesus began the church, the, the dispensation of grace. That started the last days. So my aim over the next few weeks is not about fitting together a tight factual timeline of terrifying events for you to follow but it's to wake the lukewarm up to the penetrating truths of the attitudes and behaviors and actions, and in some cases, inaction, that the Bible warns of before the day of awe when the Lord re returns. So it's about being prepared, not scared. 
The significance of knowing the signs of the times is about bringing to light the promises of God that gives strength to stand firm in the midst of the chaos. Man-made chaos? Natural chaos? Or satanically driven chaos makes no difference. When you read the last chapter, we win in the end. Now, the last days is a big topic, and you can go in many different directions. But it really all started, the information we have, started from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. And most every last day passage that you read in the New Testament has its roots in Jesus' words found in Matthew chapter 24. Or you can see the parallel passages in Mark 13 and Luke 21. They're some of the most poignant passages of last day's revelation. The signs of the time revelation comes literally on Tuesday of Jesus' last week before his crucifixion. That's when he shares this message, while sitting on the Mount of Olives resting. While sitting there, he is approached by his disciples privately and asked the questions we are gathered here asking today. And this is what they said. Tell us, the disciples said. Tell us, they said. What will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? It's Tuesday. Jesus' crucifixion is only a few days off. Just Jesus has just left Herod's grand temple, the second temple for some, uh, adorned with literally tons of gold and is easily one of the most impressive sights of the entire ancient world. At the time, the preparations for the Passover feast was happening and sacrifices were taking place and getting ready to take place. Jerusalem was abuzz with priests and Levites, those worshipers, temple dignitaries and guards. Roman legionnaires were patrolling the streets. Vendors were securing their spots and city workers all rushing around, getting ready for the tens of thousands of pilgrims coming to Jerusalem from around the globe to worship and praise Jehovah God. As Jesus is leaving the crowded city by the way of Mount of Olives to return to Bethany, and with Herod's grand temple in the background, that's when one of his disciples traveling by his side commented on the magnificent structure of King Herod's creation. He says, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Another disciple remarked about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God, which Jesus then gives this reply. He says, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Jesus has just prophesied that the most elaborate and oppressive site of the ancient world, the temple adorned in gold, would be torn apart, destroyed, and demolished. A shocking last day statement. It would be like saying in our day, that the New York Trade Center, the financial capital of the world, and the tallest building standing at the completion would one day be turned to rubble. That would be equal to something of someone saying that today. We know on September 11th that's exactly what happened. Was Jesus pointing out that the splendor of all monetary architecture has an end? Like every earthly building, like every earthly building, they will have an expiration date. Interesting, it was the destruction of the grand and magnificent architecture and achievements of man in 70 AD because that temple was destroyed that Jesus' signs of the times message to his disciples becomes all the more poignant. 
because he began the message with something that came to pass. There's a hidden penetrating truth tucked into some of the passages that are hardly contemplated. From the construction of the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis, man's arrogance, corruption, and defiance against God can long be charted. Yet, man's defiance has never been so heinous as it has been over the last 100 to 150 years. The increase of wickedness across our globe in the last 150 to 100 years has geometrically progressed that it can never be accurately measured anymore. Let's just look from the beginning of the Great War we called World War I. For the first time in world history, millions of people lost their lives in indiscriminate slaughter across the globe from all tribes, all races, all kinds of people losing their lives, fighting with new weapons, gas, all kinds of things to the horrors of World War II, which includes millions more dying in extermination ovens and gas chambers in Nazi Germany. What, but we don't talk about the hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians perishing in the fire bombings using napalm, a newly uh, constructed weapon of mass destruction that ravished Japan. Fire so hot it took the oxygen from the air and people died of suffocating before turning into ash. Followed shortly after with hundreds of thousands more being vaporized with the atomic bombs being dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Never mind the millions more murdered under repressive dictators and gulags and concentration camps making it impossible to have an actual count of all those buried in mass graves and all the genocides that have occurred in the past 70 years. When is it do you see Jesus' words about wars and rumors of wars coming to pass? The warning originally was given to the disciples 2,000 years ago, and those things have absolutely come to pass. Am I my brother's keeper? Was Cain's response regarding Abel's missing, being missed in action. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, I think that was long ago decided, wasn't it? The evolution conspiracy has stolen the sanctity of life years ago and means nothing for many. Over the last hundred years, the senseless insanity nerve of man has wiped out far more women and children than the great Noah's flood. Educated guesses put the population in Noah's day around 750 million people. Man's atrocities over the last century far exceed that number. Our functional blindness is cause for real concern. Is any, is there any rational argument to believe that we are not in the last days? More than at any time in world history, there's good reason that the days are short. God is shortening our days. One reason alone should give you reason to believe this. We are killing more people for whom Jesus came to die for in the past hundred years than all the deaths that in recorded history that he died for. The sheer numbers of our weapons of mass destruction and our willingness to use them is reason enough for God to say, enough, enough, the time has come. Hundreds of millions of people murdered in the last hundred years, and that is not counting the millions of children denied life because of abortion, of which over 28 million have happened in this year alone. 
According to some statistics, since 1980, 1.6 billion people have been aborted. Now, I know it's not popular, but I'd be careful judging the atrocities of prior generations so quickly. The hypocrisy is frightening to me, especially when it comes to the children. If you googled Uyghurs, spelled U-Y-G-H-U-R-S, the ethnic minority Chinese people used in China as slave laborers, right now, currently, slave, slave laborers to manufacture your Nike, your Adidas, your Tommy Hilfiger clothes, and some places suggest one in five pieces of clothing you wear are said to be produced in this area of the world by slave labor. Like, there's a hypocrisy in that. But anyways, back to the splendor of the temple. By the way, the words of Jesus spoken that day were fulfilled four decades later in AD 70. To put it in perspective, what Jesus said on that day had been the opening of the World Trade Center on April 1973. These words would still have 10 more years. The, the towers didn't last as long as the words of Jesus. And what he said would happen. In his 400-word sermon, Jesus shares on the Mount of Olives, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You know, that prophecy being fulfilled somewhat establishes the reality of the words that he's going to say after that regarding what's going on right now. The word of God prevails and always will come to pass. How many of you think in the revelation of the last days that if his words that started Matthew the destruction of the temple came to pass, the rest of the words in the cha chapter will also come to pass. And what did he say in that chapter? As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Interesting. The days of Noah, like never before, are clearly visible. Just turn on the news and you can view the wide world spread of violence in real time. You're seeing it happen, occur on your screens across the globe. And it looks just like that of the days of Noah. I mean, it could go on and share a lot of other areas, the sex trafficking of young children, the pedophilia going on. It just is never ending, all of the things that are happening. Add to that the darkening and drifting and abandonment from God's purposes by God's people that Jesus shares. He says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So it's saying that this, this defilement, this abandonment has crept, will creep into the church last days. And in a general sense, not everywhere and not everybody, there's a strong picture that the church's power, its picture reveals a growing of cold. Apostle Paul warned Timothy, his young protege in the faith, he was, Paul was mentoring Timothy of the perilous times that look a lot like now. He said this to Timothy so many years ago. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. There will be terrible... Well, my goodness, we're in a worldwide pandemic. There are firestorms raving, ravaging countries. And, and places, volcanic eruptions are ha happening like never before, earthquakes, 
There's melting glaciers. There's holes in the ozone. There's so much happening in the last days. Mark this. There will be terrible times. What will the terrible? It's happening. People, people will be lovers. He says this to Timothy. People will be lovers of themselves, putting themselves for lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. That's what was said 2,000 years ago. Listen, however, these things all have been written as a preamble for those who would hear what the Spirit is saying. And what, what is the Spirit saying? What is Jesus trying to communicate to us in Matthew chapter 24 and for the, the rest of this series? To be prepared and not scared. It's important to be prepared. This isn't a scare tactic. This isn't shouldn't cause you great fear. The only reason Jesus has not raptured the church, and we'll be talking about the rapture in a couple weeks, with the tribulation brought on by the Antichrist and the false prophet, is that he has been merciful. People think that he is slow to keeping his promises. They scoff at the return. But Peter clearly tells us the reason for this. He says this, the, the Lord in Scripture says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. It's going to come. It's going to come fast, and people aren't going to be ready. As believers, rather than fearing and being scared of what is to befall us, as some are inclined to become uh, of doing, let us be prepared. The wars and rumors of wars, the famines, the earthquakes, and the pestilence, the perilous times do not need to be your destiny, your worry, your fear. I want to close with uh, something from the Hebrew calendar, the, the month known as Tishri. And this year, it begins on September 19th. The uh, Jewish calendar, the Hebrew calendar, is slightly different than ours. And September 19th begins some of the holiest days on the Jewish calendar. Begins with the Feast of Trumpets, with the, with the blowing of the shofar. And it ends 10 days later, around 10 days later, with Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement. And these 10 days in between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement, are linked to the sealing of one's eternal destiny. The days in between are called the Days of Awe, or the Awesome Days. The Days of Awe are the days in between the trumpet blast of the shofar and the Day of Atonement. The Days of Awe are in between and are given to make things right in your life, to get all the things put in order that you need to have put in order. You don't have forever to repent, but you do have these days to choose before your destiny is sealed. What does that have to do with us? Well, from Jesus' ascent into heaven after the resurrection, back to heaven, to take his place at the right hand of his Father, to his soon and coming return, we're, they're foreshadowing the days of awe. The Jewish days of awe are our foreshadowing of the days we are now living in, in between, those days in between his ascension and his return. 
His warnings, which we get in, we'll get into more in the next number of weeks, are not a means to make you scared, but a means to get you prepared. The truth is, Saint, you have always known, and you know, every one of you know that is listening and hearing, that your days on earth are numbered. I have often said at the funerals, live each day like it's your last, and one day you'll be right. It's important to number our days. A friend texted me a while back uh, telling me that he tracks each day that he awakes. And actually, the number of days that he has been alive. He knows that. And he said, send me your birthday, Jay, and I will, uh, I will figure out how many days you've been on the planet. So today, I'm on day number 20,945. The Bible says to teach us to number our days for each of us have an appointed end. There isn't a personal appointment time for me to meet Jesus face to face, and it's already been established by the recording angel in heaven. I have an appointed end, and after that, the judgment. So these days should only scare you if you're not ready. There is no other reason to be this scared of the days of all, unless you find yourself counted among those pleasure-seeking, materialistic-driven, living a biblically immoral life people. Your last breath on earth will seal where you will spend eternity. Heaven and hell hangs in the balance. And over the next few weeks, I want to prepare you the best I can from a biblical perspective for what is about to befall those who are not ready. Soon, and very soon, we are going to see the king. So church, so listener, it's just a matter of time now. The sands of time, the hourglass of time, are quickly moving through the hourglass. And all the faster as the day approaches. Have you ever seen an hourglass? Have you ever watched it, the sands of time? At the beginning, it looks like nothing's even happening. One little sand dripping through at a time. And you hardly can see the change. But over the length of time, you watch long enough. At the end, it seems like it's just speeding by so quickly. And it's, it's almost as if it's accelerated. Well, it hasn't. The time is absolutely constant but man does it ever feel like the time and the days are accelerating right now so these are the days the days we have the days you have the days i have to make our life right with god to make our life right with others now is the day of salvation there is no guarantee of tomorrow if you were to ever make your life right with god this is the time eternity now (music) 